The Smiley J Artist Zone podcast is an engaging and insightful platform designed to celebrate and explore the world of artistry in all its forms. Hosted by Smiley J, a passionate advocate for the arts, this podcast offers a vibrant and inclusive space where artists from various disciplines can share their experiences, insights, and creative journeys. Listeners can expect a diverse range of topics discussed on the podcast from artist interviews, their creative process, and other fun questions for those inquiring musical minds. Best Book Bits podcast brings you Cynthia Kane, author of How to Communicate Like a Buddhist, Talk to Yourself Like a Buddhist, and How to Meditate Like a Buddhist. Cynthia, thanks for being on the show. You are so welcome. I'm really happy and excited to be with you. No worries. Now, for my audience uh, that don't know you and uh, myself too, love to know a little bit about your story. So where do you come from and sort of how did it all start for you in your early days? Well, I came from Ohio, from Columbus, Ohio. Um, and for me, really, all of this work came about, though, about, you know, 10, 11 years ago. Um, and I, over my, like the majority of my life from when I was born in Columbus, Ohio to probably about, you know, 20, 29, 30, I was very passive aggressive, very judgmental. Um, I had a really difficult time in silence and having difficult conversations and expressing myself was really, really hard. I talked to myself in really hurtful ways that kept me really stuck in this feeling of just, um, overwhelm and exhaustion and stress, but I didn't know any of this at the time, really, right? Um, I was just leading kind of the day-to-day. And I had uh, fallen in love with like this lovely boy who was from Costa Rica, and we met freshman year of college in the Hudson Valley. I went to school at Bard College in the Hudson Valley. And uh, we were together for a really long time, for about seven, seven and a half years. We decided we'd, you know, go our separate ways and then come back together, think the universe would bring us back. It did four years later. And then, you know, we met up in New York. We had this amazing conversation about our relationship and how the issues we had were really around communication, right? Um, And so we were really of the mindset, okay, let's begin again. Let's try again and figure out a way to be in each other's lives again. And Four months later, he passed away unexpectedly, and my entire world just, I mean, it was just blank. It was just empty and lonely and scary, and um, it just threw me, like, completely into a new way of being and not really understanding, right, what was going on. And everybody was really lovely, and everyone really tried to help, um, but nobody could, and that was kind of my... I guess you could say like my moment of realization that if I wanted to figure out a different way of existing in the world, I was really going to have to do it on my own. And so I was trying all these different, you know, seminars, classes, retreats, and a friend of mine had sent me a meditation and writing workshop that was happening at the Shambhala Institute in New York. And I went and that weekend just completely changed my life. So that's where I learned meditation. That's where I learned the elements of right speech in Buddhism. And to me, I thought, this is it. This is really, this is my way out of my suffering um, to learn how to speak in a kind, honest, and helpful way. And so the next day really became, well, how do I do this? This all sounds really amazing in theory, but how do I actually 
begin to change the way that I interact with myself and others in the world. And so that's really how this all came about, completely unexpected. It wasn't like I was younger and thought, I really want to work with people to help them become more kind, honest, and helpful um, and less reactive in their interactions. It just became what really my own practice that changed my life. And then I started sharing it with others and it started changing theirs. And so that's, that's like the long story of how I, <laughs> I've gotten to this place. Um, but yes, this is, this is where all of the work comes from. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing the story. I guess without sort of, without suffering and without unexpected events in our lives, we never know what that's going to lead into. And as you said, you weren't chosen to write three books about, you know, communication and Buddhism. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Titnahan and he talks about sort of gentle speech and gentle walking and, and through changing your words, you, you, you talk in your book about changing your words and, and you change your world. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. I, I read the book, Talk to Yourself Like a Buddhist, an amazing book. Talk uh, a little bit about uh, changing your words and changing your world. So it really is, um, it was a really powerful insight for me when I realized that the way that I was talking to myself was really dictating how I was showing up in the world. So, you know, you can use the example of, you know, you look outside and it's raining and someone can look outside and be like, oh my God, this is dreadful. This is going to be a horrible day. This is just, you know, a disaster. And then someone else can look out the window and say to themselves, wow, how beautiful, how refreshing, right? Um, and that will totally change the way that you show up for the day, right? One person who is talking to themselves about it being dreadful will likely experience much more dissatisfaction during the day than somebody who's talking to it like it's refreshing or exciting or playful or joyful, right? Um, and what I started realizing was how I was talking to myself about, you know, my uh, career, how I was talking to myself about my relationships with my parents, with my sister, with my um, boyfriends, how I was talking to myself was really making it so that I was either enjoying those relationships or I wasn't, right? Um, or I was keeping myself in the same, you know, arguments and fights or I didn't have to. And so I started really paying attention. This was really the first step for me after that weekend at the Shambhala Institute in New York was to really start paying attention to how I was talking to myself. Um, and it was really hard in the beginning because I just really saw how hurtful I really was um, and how it was leading to a lot more overwhelm and a lot more stress and a lot more suffering. Like suffering in this context, I'm just gonna say, can be like, you know, discomfort or anxiety or, you know, those, those types of emotions too. Um, and it, once I started to pay attention to my language and started to change it, not becoming, you know, super positive, it wasn't like I was taking it and just pretending things were different than they were. But once I started really being honest and objective and really coming with this sense of the observer, people, people seemed more like open to me. Right? Like the world seemed more friendly and brighter and I felt more like I felt more loving and caring and compassionate and it just ended up creating so much warmth for me that it was like 
oh, well, I'm not going, I'm not going to go back to that, like the other way that I was talking to myself where I felt completely disconnected, very lonely, very isolated. And almost like the, you know, Einstein said that like the most important question you can ask yourself is, is the world a friendly place? And before the world was not a friendly place, right? After it became that way based solely on changing the way that I showed up in terms of my language. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I had a similar um, uh, a similar experience with yourself, not with the not with the death that uh, prompted the the change in um, you know the old mental tapes we we play and we're repeating those loops we, without the awareness. Um, I came to awareness that hang on a second, I was consuming all this negative information and I was a negative person. I was going out and talking negative, and when you when I changed that shift and realized that my biggest shift was the, the Einstein question that you asked, I thought 90% of the planet was, you know, negative and bad people. And this was in my early 20s and I'm, I'm not in my early, I'm not in my 20s anymore, I'm in my 30s. And then when I realized that actually 99.9% of people out there are good, positive, kind-hearted people, and that one shift in attitude that the, the world is actually good, and yes, we're projected with the bad, but that shift changed me deeply uh, and it affected me deeply as well. Um, I like in your book how you talk about sort of the, the unreported epide epidemic of negative self-talk in, in our culture today as well and how you found that middle path of, of self-communication, uh, which consists of sort of the five mindfulness practice, which is sort of listen, explore, question, release, and balance, uh, which are all grounded in, in Buddhist philosophies. Um, Talk to me a little bit about one of the mindful practices, which is listen um, and the importance of listening. You know, this, it comes up a lot when uh, we first work with students because we work a lot around helping people change the way they communicate, right, with themselves and others. And a lot of people have the idea that listening to themselves is what they do all the time now, right? They're like, well, I don't want to listen to myself anymore. I'm like totally sick of my voice. And, you know, I don't like, I analyze everything or I go into things too much. Um, this listening is very different, right? This listening is starting to see if we can pay attention to whether we're exaggerating, over-exaggerating things, whether we're starting to make assumptions of other people, whether we are starting to take things personally, right? Whether we are starting to defend ourselves or get passive aggressive or, right? So what we're, what we're starting to pay attention to is our, you know, our reactions or the way that we engage in the world, not so much our thoughts. So we are paying attention to the way we're talking to ourselves, yes. Though at the same time, we are paying attention with a really gentle, friendly attention. So we're not there to beat ourselves up for what we hear, but for us to just be able to say, okay, right then I was telling myself that I'm, you know, I'm not lovable or that I'm always forgetful or that I always show up late. That's not really kind. You know, that's not really honest because you know, we can't always show up late. Some days we're going to be early. Some days we're not going to be early, right? But really just starting to play around with paying attention to the language that we're using and is it helpful or is it hurtful, right? Does it make us feel better or does it make us feel worse? And really starting to understand that we want to move away from the language that is creating more suffering, 
And the only way we can do that is to listen, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think one of the, the key principles about your book and why it's so amazing is you don't have to be a Buddhist to practice this because everyone has self-talk and everyone doesn't realize that, you know, it's not something talked about. How, oh, how do you, Cynthia, how do you talk to yourself? What's your, what's your communication level with yourself? It's not a, it's not a water cooler topic where people talk about it. And it's a very silent, as, as you said in the book, a silent epidemic where people don't realize from the spoken words comes your spoken actions because from actions first becomes a place of place of peace a place of mind you want to make sure that the the kitchen in your mind like, it has to be it has to be good for a positive mind is going to create positive actions and a negative mind is is only going to create negative actions and also a negative environment around as well so i'll just summarize a little bit about what you said with a, a negative self-talk and how it does manifest in our life so much of our self-talk is uh full of doubt and fear uh we talk to ourselves the whole day and the words we choose to talk to ourselves have very powerful effects on us and how we see the worlds and and we also downplay um our achievements um i i want you to sort of talk about the four modes of communication summary which number one is sort of thinking uh talk to us about um you know most of our negative thoughts are, are not true let's expand on that a little bit yeah so i mean most of our negative thoughts or the way that we talk to ourselves really comes from past experiences that we've had right um things that haven't gone well in the past and we just the way that we're wired right it's the negativity bias that we have where you know a hundred people can say nice things about you and then one person is telling you to work on something and you just like go right to the one thing and you're like oh my gosh i'm horrible i'm a failure i suck at this i can't do this right um it's really like that one experience that maybe we had when we were in fifth grade or when we were in 12th grade or whenever that can keep us stuck in a specific negative self-talk loop that we have going and running, right? Um, and so past experiences really keep us kind of stuck in believing what it is that we're saying to ourselves. Um, scarcity, this idea really that there's not enough out there, right? There's not enough wealth, there's not enough love, there's not enough um, success can really promote a lot of negative self-talk where we get into, you know, well, this, you know, this person just had their book on the bestseller list. That means I can't, right? Or like, she just made, you know, $100,000 in her business. I can't do that, right? It's like, we, we think that it's not possible because of scarcity. Comparison is another one where it pushes us really into the negative self-talk. Yeah, yeah, in, in the four modes of uh, the communication. Yeah, thinking, you talk, uh, speaking out aloud, which is, you know, we sometimes talk to ourselves negatively and to ourselves and friends and, and in person as well. But the body language is huge. Uh, you know, the, the body shows it's a product of what we're thinking and, and saying as well. So, yeah, the only thing sort of that we bring What's that, uh, the, the communication, is it 55% uh, body language, then it's, you know, nonverbal, then it's like 5% words or something like that. Um, yeah, the only thing you bring is energy and, and attitude to a conversation. So, yeah, interesting you say that. And the other one is a written word as well. You you talk about how we, we speak rudely to ourselves when we when we write to-do notes. Uh, talk a little bit about that. That's that's interesting. In terms of, you know, the, the thinking piece, it really is... Um, you know, that's one form of negative self-talk. Another form of negative self-talk is, 
even the way that we hold ourselves can prom like promote or provoke negative self-talk or negative beliefs about ourselves, right? Um, if we are, you know, standing in a way where we're kind of closed off, it's that is a direct reflection of how we are talking to ourselves, right? If I'm telling myself, like, I know what I'm talking about and I my words are valuable and what I have to say is necessary, I'm going to sit up, you know, like I'm going to sit up and I'm going to put my shoulders back. <laughs> But if I'm if I'm thinking and saying to myself, mm, you you're not really sure about what's going on, you know, like you don't really know the answers. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sink down, right? So it really does affect how we show up in the world. Yeah, like one of the examples that you wrote, which was uh, please remember to take the trash out, Cynthia. Love, Cynthia. Yeah, I I mean I often think right away of just you know the end of the year and when we start writing goals for the the next year or we write down you know our to-do list of things we need to do it's very demanding you know um it's like get this done do this like finish this by right there's no like hey sweetheart how you doing today can we spend some time on this together you know it's like it's just very um direct yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's such a such a huge topic, and and talking about compassion as well, and um, you you talk about bring compassion to your self communication. Um, do you want to expand on that a little bit about uh, being compassionate to your self communication? Yeah, it's important. You know, like these little moments where we get to remind ourselves that we like ourselves are really important. And a lot of the way that we talk to ourselves, all it does is just re like. It almost just tells us over and over again that we don't. Yeah, definitely, and it and it takes self work, and it's it's a form of um, it's 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 a form of work. It's a form of discipline, and and it's scary because it's the unknown for a lot of people, and and it's not known, and it's it's not something we're taught as well. It's not something we go through school or friends and family talk about it. Um, you know, true knowledge is knowledge that you have to seek first, sometimes, you know, through the death of a loved one and, and really uncomfortable situations where you find out the real truth uh, about yourself because at the end of the day, you can't stop these emotions that boil up. I'm sure the when the death of um, your loved one happened, you weren't in control of what your body and mind were doing. I'm sure, as you said, blank canvas, you pretty much shut down and then had to rebuild from there. Um, Talk about, I'm just reading some of the, the notes that I did as well. So our judgments and beliefs are, are making us sick. I, I think like we judge ourselves so much and we're, and as you said, talk to yourself like a Buddhist. We're just so hard on ourselves that I tell a lot of people and I do a lot of coaching and consulting that the first thing I said, relax, give yourself some time. You're, you're, you're trying to do too much too soon. It's going to take longer than what you got to do, but also pat yourself on the back. Like, congratulate yourself. You're here now. You're, you're doing great, but you're not thinking great. And, and that's the thing. A lot of people might look at people's outward success and say, oh, they're doing so great. But internally, these people are crumbling and it's because of their judgments and beliefs that are making them sick. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on that? I think we think so much when we think about compassion as compassion for others and compassion outward, um, when really the, the work that we have to do first to truly be able to be compassionate with others is to extend that to ourselves. 
to, so to really start to see our own suffering and to see that we are uncomfortable or to see that we are sad or that we are hurting or confused in some way. And for us to be able to come out and be like, hey, I see you, right? Like, I understand that you're upset right now and I've got you and we've got this, right? So it's almost like we, we have to learn to wrap our arms around ourselves, give ourselves a hug so that we can see that, you know, we can that we're here for ourselves. So to sit with ourselves in our own suffering is really important instead of pushing it away or rejecting it or pretending that it's not there or being sarcastic about it, right? Or downplaying it. And instead what we want to do is we actually want to invite it in and just be able to see this is this is a part of us. And can I practice like putting my arm around it and being like, "Hey guilt, how you doing? It's good to see you." Can we hang out for a second, you know? And it's uncomfortable, but the act of compassion is really important to be able to soften to ourselves so that then we get to soften to others. I want you to uh, also talk about, uh, I haven't read your latest book, which is uh, How to Meditate Like a Buddhist, but I just want to talk a, a quick little story. Uh, I think it was last week, I realized that I've been meditating for 10 years without knowing I was meditating, and that might sound stupid to a lot of people, but um, I quite I quite frequently take early afternoon naps, and then I realized I actually don't nap or fall asleep. I simply shut my eyes and go into a, a quiet place for 30 minutes and literally just meditate. And I thought I was sort of resting and um, I realized, hey, I actually don't fall asleep. I actually just rest, become center, become peaceful. And yeah, I didn't know I was meditating for 10 years. So that's a funny little, funny little story. I literally just qu quiet myself down and for 30 minutes and the benefits I was getting from that, I wasn't real, like, I know the benefits I was getting, but it all correlated back to, to meditation. So yeah, talk to me a little bit about how that book came about. I know your first book was in uh, 2016, How to Communicate Like a Buddhist, and then 2018, Talk to Yourself Like a Buddhist, but the latest one, How to Meditate Like a Buddhist. Talk to me a little bit about that and how that came about. Self-judgment is real, right? Like this is um, something that comes up all the time and it's always, you know, the negative self-talk is always paired with a judgment in some way, form form or another. Um, and it has so much to do with expectations, right? We have so many expectations of ourself. Um, and this, you know, comes from, it comes from the same thing, past experiences, scarcity. It comes from, you know, comparing other people's outsides to our insides and all of it. Right. And, um, it's, it makes it really difficult to, do anything different. So it makes it really difficult to move forward in a conversation, in a relationship, in a work environment, right? In uh, relationships with family. It makes it really hard to be able to enjoy people's company. And it really makes it hard for us to be alone, right? To actually spend time in quiet by ourselves for just even five to 10 minutes when you get into, you know, having meditation come in as potentially like a practice, a lot of the reason why m people do not like to sit is because they are just sitting with themselves, right? And so suddenly they're seeing all the judgment. Suddenly they're seeing all the evaluation and it's too much, right? Um, and so 
you know, so many people will ask, well, how do I stop judging myself? How do I stop judging other people? And the practice is truly to start paying attention to the fact that you are judging yourself. Yeah, and one of the powerful things about uh, meditation is people don't realize that half your life you're doing and then the other half you're being. So sleep is a form of being and rest. And if you can, if you can nail that being, meaning if you can center yourself, be peaceful, reset that blank canvas, your doing is going to be a lot better. But if you're just doing, 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 and never being, the quality, this is where Buddhism talks into, as you're aware, the quality of your doing is not going to be good unless your quality of your being is good. So if you can perfect your being as a quality, your your doing is going to be amazing. And as I said earlier, gentle speech, gentle walk. If you can gently walk through life, with a great quality being your quality your your doing the quality of your doing is going to be excellent and that's with not just your your quality of actions but how you communicate with people in the world as well um and the attitude there i want to shoot just a segue a little bit and talk about sort of i know you've done the three books which is great and we've got the you know the world's largest free book selling website we could talk about books all day long but talk to me about how that segued into Kane. Uh, intentional communication institute and what that is and how that started the how to meditate like a buddhist came about because to me meditation is like the glue right in terms of communications especially in that the way we are in meditation i really believe is the way that we are in communication so when you're in an interaction and you notice that you're extremely distracted you get to notice it and say, I'm not like, I'm not here right now. Right. And then you get to say, thanks so much for sharing. I'm going to come back. I'm going to be present and I'm going to continue to be here for the other person. Right. And so meditation to me is really the formal practice of all of the other books. Um, it's really how you begin to talk to yourself in a kind, honest and helpful way, how you begin to talk to others. And so The book itself, though, I believe just kind of takes this practice, which is, you know, 25, like, thousand, so many years old, right? (laughs) And tries to just distill it down into really easy, like an easy, accessible way to start meditating, to understand what it is, and to see that it doesn't have to be this big thing, right? Because especially when I was first getting into meditating, I thought I had to, you know, go to India. I thought I had to be a certain religion. I thought I had to know a lot more than I did to actually sit to meditate. And this book, I hope, shares the fact that all of that is, you know, out the door. Again, that's just a way we talk to ourselves to prevent us from, you know, maybe trying something new, something that we don't know about, and being able to really see the benefits of it. Because what we were just talking about in terms of judgment, meditation is so key to releasing the self-judgment. Because really what it allows you to do is it allows you to just sit and be as you are without being upset with yourself for it, right? So you just get to notice that you're distracted, notice that you're upset, and instead of judging you just get to say okay i'm upset i'm you know i'm angry i'm frustrated let's start again 
let me put my attention back. Yeah, awesome. Congratulations on the on all, on all your hard work and putting that together. I actually think you should um, be teaching this in not only schools, but in businesses as well. So I, I, I see you as, yeah, if we taught our kids in, you know, the junior years of school and the senior years of school as well, how to communicate with themselves like a Buddhist, but just taught them that philosophy of, you know, meditation, it, the world, the world is will be a much better place in the future but we're, but we're not taught that and then also in the workplace as well i mean uh this could be i'm not sure if you're doing it already but could you imagine going to work and then you you've got a two-hour seminar on you know how to uh, how to talk to yourself like no the book title would be how to be a buddhist at work or something like that but that would be yeah i think that could be another another book for you uh one for the kid one for the one for the kids and when i say kids anyone under 18 or and then one for people at work as well but uh now continue to do what you're doing you're, you're doing great stuff um one thing i do want to ask you and as i said I'm, I'm into books people can read and read and read and read and read but unless they take action on the knowledge that they've accumulated nothing changes and I think what's powerful as well is, is getting into proximity and close with the author like yourself and consuming their, their courses, their workshops, their, their, their daily stuff to, to go deep on the actual work as well. Um, what would be some of the sort of tips or the daily things for our listeners to say, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to wake up, I'm going to, you know, I will try to read the books. Yes, they will. But what are some of the daily tips and practices they can start implementing now to start talking to themselves like a Buddhist or, you know, um, changing the way they communicate with themselves? So what's really fascinating. So, you know, I, I wrote, uh, these books and then I, I knew how my life was changing from this practice. And so then I started teaching other people and I had started with, I have a daily Om course that's called how to communicate like a Buddhist. And Daily Om is like a wellness platform uh, that has a lot of, you know, self-development courses. And what I was seeing is people wanted more. Uh, they really wanted to go deeper with the work. And so what I ended up doing was creating uh, a training program, which then spawned the Kane Intentional Communication Institute, where basically what we do is we teach people how to become more responsive instead of reactive, how to change the way that they talk with themselves and, you know, really teaching people how to express themselves authentically, how to have difficult conversations, how to be in those really stressful moments and be able to access yourself and have a conversation as opposed to letting the emotion dictate, right, your interactions. Um, and so this, so this work, the How to Communicate Like a Buddhist books or the Like a Buddhist series, really turned into the Kane Intentional Communication Training Program. Um, and what you learn in the Intentional Communication Training Program is how do you actually implement what is in the books, right? Um, so you can read the books and they will be helpful if you are the type of person who can take action from reading, right? But if you really want to go deeper and you want the support and the accountability, you know, you within the training program, our instructors, me, we have group calls, you know, one to one, all the all of it. Um, and so this is really how it was built. This was how it was created. And then um, from that, we also now run communication circles, um, which are, you know, group calls with people 
who come with communication challenges and we work through those challenges. Um, and we have a year long mentorship program. So there's a lot that we have within the Institute, though it all has stemmed from this, um, this practice that what I call like the Kane intentional communication practice. And it really is a mix of mindful communication, nonviolent communication, and what I call self-responsible communication, which is really taking ownership for everything, right? A hundred percent responsibility for your, your words, your facial expressions, how you're using silence, um, you know, all of that. So it's, it's a combination of those three practices to create intentional communication in this way. What I would start with is starting to pay attention to language that you're using that keeps you stuck in one place, right? So you're looking for kind of absolute language. So the always and never language is um, one of those ways, right? Where you're saying to yourself, I'll never be able to afford that. Or I'm, you know, always waking up late and never arriving on time, right? All of, all of that language, it doesn't give you any opportunity to grow or to be different. So you want to start paying attention to language that is keeping you you know, stuck in like a little box, right? Um, the other is to start noticing, you know, when you're using the word but, it, but can be really, it can just dis dismiss everything else in the sentence. So if you're saying, I really loved dinner last night, but it was so cold, right? Or I really had such a great time hanging out with everybody, but, you know, so-and-so got there late and it threw me off right? Start seeing if instead of using but, you can replace it with and, because we want to start looking for where we're taking away from our experiences or taking away from ourselves and seeing, can we be additive instead, right? So even just starting with those two things, you will start, you will just start to see them. And it's not about beating yourself up because you're seeing them. We all do this, right? It's really just about being like, oh, I did it again. Okay. Can I start to use more honest, real language? Like, can I start to be more honest about myself? Okay. So today I woke up late. Tomorrow can be different. Right. Um, and just starting to play around with it, I think is really the first key. Yeah. I think we got to drop those, uh, heavy things in our life. I like what you said about the change, but, uh, to end instead of subtracting, start adding things, um, in your communication style. It's powerful, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely powerful. Um, I sort of want to wrap up and I don't want to take too much of your time, but uh, I've got a couple last questions before we wrap up and I'm interested to see your answers on this. Uh, one of the, one of the questions I asked all the, um, the authors before we finish up, if, if you was to host a dinner party with three people from the past dead or alive, who would they be? Uh, what would you serve them and where would you take them to? So three people dinner party. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Okay, three people dinner party. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Um, he's like my number one. Sammy Davis Jr. Um, Tit Not Han, definitely. Um, and John Lennon. Wow. Where would what would you, where would you take him, or what would you eat? I would just take them to my house. I would just like have them sit around my kitchen table or my dining room table. It would be super informal but uh like chic you know 
Um, and what would I serve them? I mean, I would definitely serve good conversation for sure. Good conversation. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I think it would just be like good conversation and I see a lot of laughing and a lot of like realizations and um, empty plates. That's what I see. <laughs> so I'm not sure what the food would be, but I know that we all enjoyed it. Got it. Yeah, perfect. I like uh, I like how you said uh, Titnaha. Now, a lot of people who don't know who Titnaha is, he's a Vietnamese monk that's 95 years old. He's probably the living embodiment of the original Buddha in terms of uh, his life, his action, his words, his books. Um, give me a little one minute spill on him and what, what sort of he means to you and what uh, what you know about him. He's just, he's incredible to me. You know, I, I devour anything that he's ever written. I watched, I feel like everything that comes out of Plum Village. Um, I mean, for me, he has a way of putting things in language that it's, it's so simple. It's so easy to understand. And it, it, his work has just really changed the way that I see, right? And that to me is just incredible when you can pick something up and you're thinking one thing and then by the end of a book, you're seeing the world completely different. And that's what I feel like I get from him anytime I open, like open a book of his or read his words. It's just beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's super powerful and it just goes straight to the heart and uh, bypasses the head and uh, any information or knowledge that goes to the heart, we, we, know, it's, uh, we know it's true. Now, uh, where can sort of people connect with you online and, and where do you spend sort of most of your time online? You can connect with me on, I'm on Instagram at CYK1. Um, you can also join our newsletter. That's really, for me, where I connect most with uh, people. And so you can go to CynthiaCain.com or you can go to IntentionalCommunicationInstitute.com and you will find us. Um, we're there. Yeah, awesome. And what's, uh, what's one last message you, you want to leave my audience with? Mm, just knowing that your words are valuable and what you have to say is necessary. And it's a, all of this is a learned practice. And so the beautiful piece about it is that it's possible to change the way you interact because, you know, we're never ever, I'm going to say never here, but most of us have not been taught how to communicate. We know how to talk. So we think we know how to communicate, but this is really learned behavior. So it's possible. Cynthia, thank you for being a, a great guest and uh, thank you for all the work you've done and the books you've put out and all the courses and workshops as well. So continue to be you. And uh, what uh, what's your plans for 2020? Is there any further books you're researching or writing about? Or So I know that there is another book in the mix. It just hasn't been nailed down as to what, what it is yet. But if anyone has ideas that they want to pop out and shoot out, let me know um, because I know my publisher would love to hear them. Kids, 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 focus on the focus on the kids. They're, they're the key to the future. I think you need to write a book on how to communicate um, like, a, like a teenager. Like that would... Yeah, that's huge. If you if you teach it young, I've got sorry to segue, but I've got I've got a lot of friends with kids, and um, there's one kid I'm thinking about, and uh, my friend's daughter's 15, and she's literally 
the energy of a Buddhist. And it's like, wow, like that carrying on to adulthood and that affects a hundred people, a hundred people affects a thousand people. It's the kids, I think, how to, how to met, how to communicate. Yeah. I don't know. Something to do with the kids. I think that's huge because the adults will buy it for the kids and the, yeah, the, the kids need it as much as anyone in this strange times we're living with, with all the negativity. They need to understand that there is a, a peace and quiet and presence in themselves and if they can find that i think life's going to be good for everyone but uh, we could do another podcast on that yeah i'm telling you the adults the adults have got all the information they need because you know the old saying when the student is ready the teacher is there the teachers are there but the kids need the help uh, the most help right now but anyway i'll leave you to it thank you for being on the best book bits podcast and for my audience go out follow cynthia kane uh devour her books uh but but, but be nice about it and communicate nice to yourself like a buddhist <laughs> um enjoy the rest of your day and uh thanks for being on the show thank you no worries i'll speak to you soon okay bye